Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, and also your host. And just before we start the show, I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, The Mimi Boutique, a trendy, funky, colorful, modest clothing boutique for teen girls and women. The Mimi Boutique loves and enjoys bringing everyone modest, fun fashion in all price ranges and styles. They also have a large selection of beautiful head coverings, including berets, bands, tichels, pre-ties, beanies, and more. You can always expect something new. So even though the Mimi Boutique is located in Baltimore, they have a website and ship worldwide. So go to www.themimiboutique.com. You can also find them on Facebook and Instagram at The Mimi Boutique. There will be Thanksgiving sales as well. Today we have Simi Brody, a fine artist, writer, interior decorator, and visionist, who happens to be my grandmother. Welcome, Bobby. Hi. It's so good to have you on the show. We've been talking about this for a long time. So just by working on your bio together, I learned so many things about you. Like, for example, that you were hired at a very young age to host and direct the show sets in camps. So clearly at a young age, someone noticed your talent and gave you the responsibility of creating and directing artwork. How did that feel? It was amazing. The first time I thought of myself as an artist was when in the fifth grade, when my teacher, Mrs. Levine, was walking around the room and she stood over my desk for a minute and she said out loud for the whole class to hear, Sima is an artist. And I knew that that was the truth. My mother always told me I was an artist. She's the one who paid for my first art lessons when I was four years old. I loved oil painting from that minute on. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your journey in studying art and developing your craft. Okay, so I'm sure that my education as an artist started because I was my mother's daughter. My mother was an interior designer, one of the first. And so everything about the house that I lived in and the the words from my mother were about art, were turned everything into art, whether it was religion, whether it was um, how to be comfortable, how to make a home. It, it was all about art because that's the prism that my mother saw the world through. So clearly she was a big influence in your major, major, in yes. your development and in the way you view the world. You majored in art? I started majoring in art when I had the opportunity. When I started high school, um, Weehawken High School had a great art department and so many classes were available. And because I had been used to a yeshiva schedule where school was till four o'clock every day and we learned two curriculums in Hebrew and in English. When I got to Weehawken High School and school was over at 2.18 every afternoon and I had access to this amazing art space, I just took every available art class. I filled it into my free periods, into my lunch period, my after school activity. We had photography. We had, that means developing film as well as uh, taking pictures, sculpture. Every medium was available to us. And the art supplies were free and totally available. The equipment that we had to work with was amazing. Uh, we did wood sculpture and clay and um, oil painting, watercolor. 
drawing, everything. So you really got to dip your toes into every single form. Absolutely. And I had free access to the whole art department because I was there all the time. Everybody just expected me to be there. And I fit that in between my normal classes, which seemed like a vacation all through <laughs> high school. Yeah, that really does sound like a vacation. I know you always say, if you love what you do, you never have to work a day in your life. Painting in its natural modern world turned into interior decorating and interior design. And at one point, you, together with your sister, Aunt Linda, and Ama, your mother, went out and created BLS Designs. As a trio, you went out and designed commercial showrooms in Manhattan. Could you tell us what that was like in in a world where interior decorating was fairly new? We started because my husband and my father were in business together, and they opened a showroom on Broadway in Manhattan, and they needed somebody to design their showrooms. And Zadie just said, do it. And my mother said, yeah, let's all do it together. And we did. And from that showroom, we got a few other gigs. And it was just so much fun. So can you please tell me where you learned interior design? Did you have any professional training at that point? I really learned on the job. There was a wonderful contractor who worked with us to do the first job that we did. And he taught me how to draw my plans so that any contractor could read them and build from them. And that was became my forte. I did the space planning. So I think we had 100,000 square feet in one of our jobs. It was just a huge open space. And I just drew the pictures that made the lines that turned into walls. And we had offices and showrooms and sample rooms. And, and it all just flowed. It was just a great space. And it was for a company named uh, Damar Apparel and Hers Apparel. Anyway, it was, it was great. We had a load of fun doing it. That job took us about a year, driving back and forth to the city from Muncie, New York. What happened that you transitioned and went out on your own? Well, we worked together also simultaneously, actually, on private homes in Teaneck, in Muncie, and surrounding environs. We were charging in those days, I think, $75 an hour. We did whatever the clients needed. We went shopping with them to buy furniture We and pick out their wallpapers. And uh, we did the space planning, color selections, whatever they wanted from us, we did. We usually went together as a, as a team. It worked out very well. We did that for a, a lot of years. And then we decided to take some of the jobs individually because we were really busy. And it seemed silly for us all to go to each job when we could each take a job and consult with each other as needed. And we each got paid $75 an hour. So that seemed to be a very nice compromise yeah, <laughs> or development. And then my mother stopped doing it all together and she went into other things. And Linda and I just stayed doing our own thing, consulting. And we also used to bother my mother and ask her questions when we were stuck. And uh, people still come up to me and say, I'm still using that kitchen you designed for me. It's great. It's the greatest kitchen. Everybody loves it. Well, I admire you because you learned on the job and you really created beautiful designs. I know because you live in one of your designs at the moment. And they're just so timeless and classic and beautiful. Your tips are always 
incredible in terms of organization and practicality and beauty. Thank you. You know, I used to think anybody could do it, but I, in my old age, I've come to believe that maybe that's not true. I, I worked at it for so many years and I suppose I'm working with a God-given talent and I just sort of accept it. I just, uh, I know I can do it. That's confidence, I guess. So you belonged in an art studio in Manhattan and you always continued your education and you had a few exhibitions as well. Can you tell me how you got that exhibition uh, in the gallery Madison 90? I got it because my mother knew the guys who owned it. They had ongoing gallery shows and their location on 90th Street and Madison Avenue on the corner was fantastic. And she just mentioned that she has a daughter who paints. And they said, oh, let us see your stuff. And I brought in paintings and they said, um, we'll take them. We'll take them. And did you sell any paintings at that show? I remember two that I did sell because I went with the woman who bought them to help her hang them. So I remember that. I think he sold a few more. When the whole thing was over, I think he had my painting in the window for a couple of months. And I keep very bad records. So I can't even tell you for sure how many paintings I sold. I have no idea how many paintings I've done. I remember being in a house in Petach Tikva in Israel. I was just looking at this beautiful little painting standing on Ava Meyer's bookcase. And I couldn't help noticing it. It was just, it kept catching my eye. And I finally said to her, I just love this little painting. She said, well, thank you so much. You gave it to me as a present a few <laughs> years ago. And I totally didn't even remember that I did it or that I gave it to her. Were the paintings at the exhibition the first time you ever sold a painting? No, there was a yeshiva in Bansi, Shari Torah, that my oldest son, David, went to. And to raise money, they decided they were doing an art exhibit and a sale. I contributed a few paintings from that show. I sold one the night of the show, and then I sold a few more because of that one. But I have no, I have no records, and I. But whenever I go into a house where one of my paintings is hanging, I just really love my stuff. I love painting it. I love seeing it. I'm sure you do. I love seeing them, and they're all over my house. Which leads us to our next topic: how all the album covers of my CDs is your artwork. Right. That's a great honor for me. <laughs> Thank you. So let's share the story of how this project evolved and what it's still, it's still ongoing and what we hope to accomplish. Wow. Um, I think it was your idea. I, I don't remember. Did you ask me or did you tell me you wanted me to do it? And I was so honored. I think I asked you if I could use one of your existing paintings. And then we, we used uh, a painting of yours that is in Reese's house. She took a picture of it on her flip phone before the smartphones. And then we ended up using that. It's coming back to me. And then we did that again with that Don't Alarm painting. So for the third album, you created a CD size. Well, it's bigger than a CD, but for a CD cover. And then you ended up repainting the first and second album covers. And then there was four and five after that. And the goal is 10. I hope we stick to this goal. Okay, I'm, I'm on board. So I know you don't remember how many you sold or or No idea. Every once in a while, I tried to sit down and write it down or to get organized and to keep track of what I did and to photograph them. 
I just drift off and I forget that I'm doing it. And then I paint and somebody sees it on my easel and says, can I have that? And it's gone. And then I didn't take a picture of it. I have no idea until I see it again someplace. I once asked all my WhatsApp chats, if anybody has a painting of mine, would they please take a picture and send it to me? So I have a collection in my phone of some of my paintings, but most of them not. I do want to bring another challenging topic up for you. I know you like to deal with the art part only and so much of a successful artist in the eyes of modern society is how much you sell, how much you make, how known are you. And I know that's the part of the art you never appreciated or wanted to be in charge of or even participate in. Ideally, you would like to just hire someone to sell you, promote you, exhibit your art. Yeah, I feel like I need an agent. And a few times in my life, it felt like it was almost happening. The show that I had in Chelsea, and I can't even remember the name of the gallery. It was on 19th Street, that's for sure. There were four large windows facing the street. And they belonged to, I think it was a Lubavitch group. So you walk through the gallery space to get to the place where the the organization congregated. But those windows were facing 19th Street in, in Chelsea. It was a fantastic space. But I got to that because Shalom Vyalkov, who is... Um, Your daughter's uh, brother-in-law. Exactly. He loved my paintings. He made me feel so good. And he kept insisting that he's going to do something, that this is ridiculous that I'm not selling. And I told him, I just can't do it. I'm not interested. I'm not doing it. And he said he's going to do it. And he got me this space. And yeah, I had this show. It was fabulous. It was fun to set it up. And it was it was hard work, but I did it. And the first night, I, I got a phone call that one of my big paintings was sold. And the next morning or overnight, I don't know when it crashed, but... Lehman Brothers went bankrupt and this woman lost her job and she had to cancel her order. And then the paintings hung there for, I don't know, maybe a month. That was the end of it. It was like the darkest financial period. So I could blame it on that, but no, nothing sold. But it was fun to hang there. Way to put a little dent into your hopes. Yeah, but you know what? Since it was never my primary goal, I just paint because I love to and I need to. When I find a home for one of my paintings, I feel really good about it. And thank God I didn't need to support my family. And though I sometimes wonder, Helen Frankenthaler was one of my my heroes, my favorite artists. But I'd look at her paintings and whatever they did to me, they took my breath away. But sometimes when I see my own paintings, it does the same thing for me. So why did she get to hang every place. And I, I'm more private. You know what? That's just the way it is. And it's fine with me. I can't do it. I'm not going to go out there and sell. I'm not part of an art world. I just do my own thing. And I'm, it's good. And that's okay. It's okay. Do you have any visions or hopes Or are you just okay with that being where your art is? You'll just continue painting and do it lishma and make the people around you happy and let them just grab the painting off your easel as you finish them up. So unless something unusual happens, by unusual I just mean out of the ordinary for me, yeah, I expect this is how it's going to go. 
if anything does come along and change things. So, hey, that's cool too. I do want to talk about that, this latest trend you've been setting with your walking sticks that you find in the woods, that you engrave them, you paint on them, you write psukim into them. I, you told me it takes 20, 30 hours for one stick. They're just so magnificent and people keep talking about them. And it's something, just another use. You're very practical and you didn't want a walking stick that represents, you know, now I need a walking stick. You, you really created it really It grew novel. organically because I was out walking in the woods with Bensi and Tuvia and Bensi wanted me to climb over some rocks and I couldn't. I was afraid I'd fall and he picked up a stick. And he said, here, use this. It will help you. And it did. It was great. With the stick, I was able to climb up on the rocks. And I kept it in my trunk for a while. And anytime we went walking, I took the stick out. And then I decided I just liked walking with that stick. And once I was walking with it, I just wasn't going to use just a stick. So I sanded it and I carved it. And I, it reminded me of my, my Zadie Yudatsvi Heimowitz, Olaf Hashalom, who used to love to carve sticks, and uh, he'd write our names in them, and I used to sit and watch him do it, and I loved being with him and watching him do that. And so whenever I'm working on a stick, I, I feel like I'm sitting with him. That's really beautiful, and you have so many talents. You learned how to bookbind, and you make sukkah decorations out of paper mache, and you... you oh, and I made your mother's wedding gown. I saw. Oh, we, yes, we didn't talk about that. Yes, that was so much fun. Oh my God, could you imagine making somebody's wedding gown? That was terrifying. And um, share a little she said, bit. No, Ma, you can do it. You can do it. And she made me do it. And it really, it was beautiful. She was a gorgeous bride. She really was. And you made all the gowns for that wedding. Right. And I made a lot of my own clothes. That also started because I needed sneistic um, maternity clothes when I f first started on that part of my life, and I didn't find them so easily. And I just said, you know, these are so easy to make. They're just, what are they? Big bags. And I just made them myself. You're so creative, and you created your own besamim holders. You take uh, spice bottles and paint over them. <laughs> And mezuzahs, your gorgeous mezuzahs that you make. So I made my first mezuzah because my mother's mezuzah collection is in the Great Synagogue. But before before it went in there, when she was setting it up, she told me she wants me to, um, to make a mezuzah for her for the collection. And I really didn't know how or what, but I figured it out and I made a mezuzah. It was actually very cute. It's in her book, Upon Thy Doorpost which is a collection of photographs of her, many of her mezuzahs. She had thousands. And then when the mezuzah collection went up in the Great Synagogue, it wasn't up very long when there was a robbery. The shul was broken into, and some of the mezuzahs were stolen. Like three or four mezuzahs were stolen. A few of the cases were broken. And one of the mezuzahs that was stolen was mine. I was so flattered. I couldn't believe it. There's so many gorgeous mezuzahs there. And somebody stole mine? Wow. That was awesome. I yeah. love your reaction to the story because your artwork really made it to all ends. There's also a picture of that missing mezuzah. The front page of the article that was written about the mezuzah collection in the 
I think the name of the magazine is Atmosphere, the El Al magazine that they used to give out on the airplane. I don't know if they still do. And uh, there were articles, what to see around Israel when you got there. And they did a big display on my mother's collection and the big mezuzah that they decided to put for the article to illustrate was mine. I was also blown away. So I'd like to close with, is there something that you, some kind of bond that you shared with Zadie, your husband, over your art? Was there something that he, clearly you wouldn't be able to just do everything you did without his full support. Uh, I could just imagine a husband saying, what are you wasting all that time? And you need all this art supplies and you keep, you, you painted the floors in your house with flowers. So it's very interesting that you ask that because it was an interesting relationship. I mean, it was just the most important relationship in my life, I guess. Even though, how can you say that? My parents created me, so with Hashem, but to say the most important. But I was so lucky. I got to live with my soulmate, with my best friend. And even though he used to say he doesn't understand the art and he doesn't appreciate it, and he, but he sees that I love to do it. And he encouraged me uh, when we put an addition on our house and I got to take the best spot for the light and for its position in the house for my studio. He just always encouraged me to do what I wanted and to be myself and to go out and do it. I didn't always have the courage to follow his his advice. I remember one day I went to um, I, I went with Jonathan Levine, my nephew, to the city because he wanted me to give him an art lesson. And we walked up and down Madison Avenue. We went in in and out of many galleries, and I told him, you know, who my favorites were and what I answered his questions as best I could. So we saw a Georgia O'Keeffe painting for $35,000. It was a beautiful little painting. And I said to Jonathan, this painting is going to be worth a million dollars within 10 years, because Georgia O'Keeffe was already 95. And... I said, you know, I hope she lives to 120, but the odds are against it. So the second that she's no longer with us on this earth, those paintings are just going to skyrocket. $35,000, I couldn't believe it. And Jonathan went home and he told this to to Zadie. And Zadie said, so buy it. You're serious? You really think it's going to be worth a million dollars? I said, there's not a question. So he said, why didn't you buy it? I said, don't be ridiculous. I'm not spending $35,000 on a painting. He couldn't believe me. He said, well, why don't you just go back now and get it? A million dollars in 10 years? What kind of an investment is that? I said, come with me. He said, no, I'm not coming with you. What will I know? You go and you get it. And I didn't. I couldn't. That happened to me a couple of times, and I never did. Would you have now? I doubt it. I don't know what to say, but I know. I understand. It's crazy. But I just couldn't do it. And I couldn't understand why he wouldn't come with me. If he would have come, he would have bought it for sure. No, he wanted it to be a some kind of an exercise for me. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I just love that story. And I, I love having you in my life. I love your stories. I love all the beauty and real-time wisdom you bring to my life and to everyone around you. People just want to be around you all the time. Ah. Uh. And, and I love you so much. And I, really and I love your music. 
And I'm so honored to be on your album covers. The honor is mine, really, because especially in a Kolisha world where my album would never be featured in a Judaica store if I had a picture of me on the cover, but having That's a painting terrible. of yours. Isn't that terrible? I'm but not even... I, you know, before we close, I just want to put in, can I do a commercial for somebody else? Yes. Your mother. I don't know if she's my student. She says I'm a great influence on her. I don't know what I am to her. But she is an artist par excellence. I never, I, I couldn't believe it if, if I didn't watch her do it. She is so prolific. She is so talented. She's so magnificent. And she works so hard at it. She spends hours and hours every week. I don't think a week goes by that she's not painting. And she, her paintings are just magnificent she deserves to hang in a museum and and that's will. all i'm going to say because you should interview her too i will hers is going to be also a very expensive interview no, yeah. <laughs> i'm just saying this out there my biggest supporters with my music with everything i've done uh both financially and emotionally has been uh from my closest family members and they're the ones who pay to get my albums, who support me when I'm fundraising for a music video for my podcast. And I just want to shout out to you, to Danielle, to my aunt, my mother, my sister, everyone out there who throws their money where their mouth is. Thank you so much for always being there for me, for being such an inspiration and role model and how you... Well, you're a role model and an inspiration for me, too. Thanks for being on our show. It was so lovely. And maybe we'll find you an agent from the show. Yeah, right. Okay, I'm waiting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you have been enjoying this podcast, please make sure to leave us a review. Subscribe and share the show with people you think may also enjoy it. See you next time.